Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Today on our podcast, we're going to talk about the luteal phase. What's the luteal phase? Well, it's the second half of the menstrual cycle. It's the time between ovulation and menstruation and it's an important time when you're trying to get pregnant because that's the time at which an embryo attaches itself to the womb, embeds itself and establishes the pregnancy. So that makes this time a very important one during any infertility treatment as well as in the natural situation. So there are a number of factors that produce a good luteal phase. The first of these are the hormones that influence the lining of the womb. Initially that's oestrogen. Oestrogen in the first half of the cycle builds up the thickness of the lining of the womb. It causes the cells to get larger and multiply. And those oestrogen levels have to be maintained through the second half of the cycle to keep the lining healthy. The other hormone and potentially the more important hormone is the one that makes the lining of the womb receptive to a pregnancy, that creates the changes within the lining of the womb that lead to an environment that will allow the embryo to attach, for the embryo to be fed the right ingredients to make it grow and to form the attachments between the embryo and the mother's uterus. So progesterone is produced from the ovary after ovulation. It is triggered by the hormone LH which rises dramatically on the day before ovulation 
and it's like a switch. It turns on the cells producing progesterone. And that's the same whether that is in a natural cycle or an IVF cycle or a stimulated cycle. The exposure of the ovary to the high levels of LH are vital in having good progesterone production. That production comes from a low baseline of around 2 and climbs steadily over 7 days after ovulation to reach levels greater than 30. So when we measure progesterone levels, we like to see levels greater than 30 seven days after ovulation. In those seven days, that rising level of progesterone has caused changes in the endometrium, the lining of the womb. It's converted some of the cells to be secreting cells. They secrete the nutrients, the growth factors, the glycogen, which the embryo will be feeding upon once it gets into the uterus after it's been formed. Eight progesterone levels will also change the structure of the surface of the lining of the endometrium. Under electron microscopy, it's been shown that there are little outcrops that occur, a bit like cauliflowers, growing on the surface of the endometrial cells. And it's been shown that good numbers of these pinopodes, as they're called, are associated with higher implantation rates. It's progesterone that drives their production. Then, by the middle of the cycle, is the time when an embryo has reached the uterus. It's in a natural conception. The sperm and the egg have got together in the fallopian tube in the 24 hours after ovulation and remains in the tube for about four or five days, growing and multiplying, multiplying to something in the order of 200 to 300 cells. That's when it's called a blastocyst. And the blastocyst travels down the fallopian tube, eventually getting to the uterus. That synchrony between the arrival of the blastocyst and those developmental changes that I've talked about is what leads to a good implantation. So the progesterone levels are important. If a pregnancy doesn't arrive, and or if the embryo arrives but doesn't implant, the ovary production of progesterone starts to decline. It falls away. And that falling away of progesterone is one of the elements of why menstruation occurs. At the same time as the progesterone is falling, estrogen is also falling. Those two changes ultimately result in the blood vessels that have been supplying the thick endometrium to shrivel up and the cells die and the result is menstruation. If pregnancy occurs, however, what then happens is that the embryo, or in fact not necessarily the embryo, but the placenta associated with the embryo produces the pregnancy hormone HCG, human chorionic gonadotrophin. That HCG works on the ovary. It circulates in the bloodstream back to the ovary, tells the ovary that pregnancy has occurred, but more importantly provides the drive to keep progesterone levels high. And those high levels of progesterone do a couple of things. One is to make the lining of the womb stable so it doesn't shed for menstruation. And secondly, it also relaxes the uterus. Progesterone is a muscle relaxant and a uterus that doesn't contract is less likely to expel an embryo.
Once a period is missed, that progesterone level continues to rise slowly as the pregnancy hormones rise quite dramatically. So the uterus remains quiet and hopefully the lining of the womb is maintained to allow the pregnancy to flourish. So those interplay of the hormones are vital to a good luteal phase. Obviously the other part of that equation is the endometrium itself, the lining that must have the capacity to respond to the hormones, to produce the various nutrients that it needs to, to be receptive to the embryo when it arrives. And there are conditions where the lining of the womb is not receptive, where there's inflammation of the lining of the womb, endometritis, where there is scarring from previous surgery to the uterus, like a DNC, where the lining of the womb is thin and not functional. Infertility treatment, we worry about the adequacy of the luteal phase. In normal cycles, we expect the luteal phase to be very constant, somewhere between 12 and 14 days from ovulation. So if a woman has a 28-day cycle, which is average, she'll ovulate on day 14, have a period on day 28, and that will be a 14-day luteal phase. There are women who have a short cycle, say 24, 25 days, who ovulate on day 10 and have a 14-day luteal phase and have a regular period every 24 days, but they have a normal luteal phase. There is, however, a condition which we believe occurs in all women probably once a year on average, where ovulation occurs on day 14, but the period comes on day 24. That's called a deficient luteal phase. There is probably a small group of women who regularly have a short cycle, who regularly have a deficient luteal phase. The literature is not totally convincing in that regard, but there are some women who, given medications to stimulate a better ovulation, like clomiphene, will end up with a longer luteal phase and get pregnant. So there is a simple treatment for luteal phase deficiency. Obviously the other way is to give progesterone in the second half of the cycle or give injections of pregnancy hormone to stimulate progesterone production from the ovary. So there are a number of ways of dealing with that possibility. But there are many specialists who don't believe that luteal phase deficiency actually exists. So your clinician may not follow that up. In IVF cycles we are particularly concerned about luteal phase and we believe that all women should have luteal phase support in one form or another. And the reason for this is that although the hormone levels get very high with the multiple eggs that are produced in an IVF cycle, they fall away very rapidly. So even though there may be very high progesterone levels at the time of ovulation or egg collection, the progesterone levels fall dramatically and the lining of the womb that was supported will unfortunately break down early. So to overcome that, all women going through an IVF cycle will have progesterone support either by using suppositories of, or, or pessaries of progesterone or by having injections to stimulate the ovaries to produce more progesterone. There have been multiple trials showing the necessity for progesterone supplementation 
to produce a good pregnancy rate. The internet will tell you there are other ways of having progesterone, intramuscular progesterone or tablets, but really the standard in Australia is progesterone pessaries or pregnal injections. So what we've talked about today is the natural issues around luteal phase and about how we should support it in IVF cycles. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 